0: We love the Pac 12 and we hate to be the bearer of bad news, but recruits are leaving the Pac 12 footprint, and now coaches who were underpaid are now leaving the Pac 12 footprint. Recruiting budgets in the Pac 12 are much smaller than they are in the elite programs in the country. What's going on in Pac 12 basketball? And money leads to divorces, but could that lead to a breakup of the Pac-12? I'm George Reister with Ralph Amsden, and this is the Pac-12 Apostles. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles. We appreciate your time, appreciate your energy. Thank you guys for listening to the podcast. Make sure you share it with a friend. Tell a friend about the Pac-12 Apostles share it and also if you want to contact us send us an email i'm mad at unafraidshow.com or hit us up on twitter he's at ralph amsden and i'm at george reister and make sure that you leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to the podcast ralph uh the pack 12 you know so much was made about the pack 12 players potentially leaving the pac 12 footprint and all of that and the second phase of the recruiting cycle just ended national signing day and we thought that the early signing period because the first year of the early signing period you know it was like 50 50 guys half the guys signed early half of them signed late but this year it was like an 80 20 Uh, 85-15 split so what ended up happening for the rest of the Pac-12 because UCLA was supposed to USC was quote unquote supposed to finish finish strong Arizona wanted to finish strong what ended up happening in the Pac-12 with uh, the second phase of National Signing Day
1: Uh, well USC did not (laughs) finish strong Uh, as you know I work with uh, rivals and you know it 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 doesn't look good for them right now. Um, They finished 16th in our uh, end of recruiting cycle team rankings, just behind Tulane and East Carolina, and just ahead of Florida Atlantic and Louisiana Tech. So that's about how well they're doing. And now you have to understand that that's like an overall point system that combines the number of commits that you have, With the average star rating, they only have 13 signees for this recruiting cycle. And if you're just going by the average star rating of the players that USC brought in, um, they're going to be, you know, much higher than that. I think they're maybe actually a top 30 team. Um, But I mean, the teams ahead of them include Mississippi State, where Mike Leach is now, UCLA even average star rating of 3.11 West Virginia is ahead of them. Georgia tech is ahead of them. USC is at a 3.08 just ahead of Northwestern and Pittsburgh and barely ahead of Cal. So uh, they did not, (laughs) they definitely did not close strong. And I mean, they've definitely, they've got some quality signees, but it's not what obviously USC fans are used to. And their, their big pull was they landed uh, Jack Yari, who was I think at one point um, higher ranked than he ended up as a three star tight end, uh, and he's a legacy. And the fact that it took them, you know, all the way through the end of the uh, through the end of the entire recruiting season to lock him up it was sort of just an indictment of of where that program was at. You know, you and I both know coaches who have turned down the opportunity to even interview at USC. Why would kids be any different? You're not supposed to commit to coaches, but we know that that's what you do. I mean, that's why these coaches are so highly paid is because all of us know that you're not supposed to commit to coaches, yet all of us know that kids do, which means you pay coaches a bunch of money to try to get, you know, kids to commit to them. Then they end up bouncing around, and, and that's why the system is so wonky. But, you know, the you'd figure that there would be enough just USC history to pull quite a few kids, and I think that that is what took place this year with some lower-level kids who maybe in other years wouldn't have even had a shot to go to USC. You know, of the six offensive linemen that they locked down in this class, which makes up about half the total class that they signed, you know, a lot of those kids – might not have been recruited in any other cycle by USC, which is pretty crazy to think about. But uh, Jack Yari was the big signee for them. He had plenty of other options and has a legacy of six foot six, 250 pound tight end, even though they don't really use the tight end in the air raid system. Um, That was big for them just in case they do end up losing their offensive coordinator and have to shift back to a more traditional system in the future.
0: Yeah. How did um? who else picked up recruits in the because I know Utah picked up a couple and who else picked up some re- re- recruits? Because I remember Cal Cal was full at the end of the first cycle, right? And- yes. Cal locked things down really
1: early. And so they're on to the 2021 class. I think they actually just had a kid, uh, a lineman commit maybe out of Minnesota or something like that. So they've already got two linemen locked down. For the 2021 class, they're doing very, very well. Washington did enough to finish in the top 20. Uh, you had three teams, just as far as rivals go, um, three teams finished in the top 26. You had Oregon at nine, Washington at 20, and Arizona State at 26. Arizona State did some good for themselves because they went into uh, the final signing period needing two things they need a quarterback because Outside of Jaden Daniels, they have a walk-on and a Taysom Hill utility knife type guy, and that's it. So they needed to lock down a quarterback. They were able to do that um, with uh, Sarah, not Jay Sarah, but Sarah out of San Mateo, uh, quarterback Dalen McLemore. He was somebody who missed about half his senior season but was incredibly efficient the rest of the time. He came back for the state championship, I think, through 17 of 18, 15 touchdowns, four interceptions, and he's also a dual threat guy, 6'3, 200 pounds. He'll be just kind of a nice, warm body in case something happens to Jaden Daniels, which, you know, if you're ASU, you're, you're, you're basically your entire season's hopes are kind of resting on the fact that you don't want that to, to be the case. But um, they wanted to make sure that they they were able to get some more bodies in that quarterback room. They also flipped tight end Jake Ray from UNLV who was out at St. Thomas Aquinas in Florida. And, you know, he's not a super athletic guy. He kind of mirrors some of the other talent they have on the roster now. But he's somebody that Zach Hill was recruiting at Boise State before he came over to be ASU's OC. So they needed a tight end very badly. They needed a quarterback very badly. And they're able to bring those two in. That was big for them. Utah, I think, probably had the strongest um, second signing day.
0: Yeah, because yeah, because they were what almost last at um going into the first signing period and right after that, like they were hovering around USC territory, then they just picked it up. Oh yeah. So that I mean they're they're definitely um they they,
1: they can definitely be proud of of what they were able to do um just in the new year. They were able to grab a quarterback Cooper Justice out of Oregon, a defensive tackle out of mission viejo uh, Keanu Tanu uh, 6'4", 275. um, Fabian Marks, a defensive back out of Richmond, Texas. Uh, they locked him down. They got, uh, this is a really interesting signee, George. They got a guy named Jeremy Mercier out of Arizona who is playing in a replacement club league because as you know, they shut all of the junior college football programs in Arizona down. Why? So, um, Well, they, they basically, basically what happened was, um, and I, I actually broke this story nationally. It was crazy that Maricopa County decided to cut football and they listed a bunch of kind of fraudulent reasons. But I think, um, one of the things that really came down to is they don't feel like football players are real students and they don't like the element of the athletes just hanging around campus. I mean, there, there there's definitely some, some racial tension and some weirdness going on and. Um, wrote a bunch of articles about it. It was a giant mess. But the domino effect of eliminating the four Maricopa County Community College uh, programs, which I mean, Scottsdale Community College has put a bunch of guys in the NFL. Mesa Community College put a bunch of guys in the NFL. Um, Demarius Randall, who, you know, was playing for the Browns, played for the Packers, was a first round pick of the Packers. He's a Mesa Community College guy. Um, Glendale Community College as well. Uh, and they, they all had to shut their programs down immediately, which meant that Arizona Western, which is, you know, won national championships and uh, Eastern Arizona didn't have anybody to play. So they had to shut their programs down as well. So all of a sudden you lose seven junior college opportunities. The JUCO coaches got together and they formed sort of this club league to replace it. And they got four or five teams that play each other and they take online classes, and I'm very skeptical of how it will work out long term. But this signee, this linebacker, Jeremy Mercier, he's the first player to go out of this club league and sign with a major college football team. So uh, I think University of Louisiana has one named Trevor Russell as well. But this is a this this signee is a really big deal because it could really cement the legitimacy of this club league that they've started to replace JuCO football in Arizona. Uh, and then they got a big six foot seven, 265 pound defensive end. Of course they did to uh, Tagi taggy. Oh, I, think I'm probably butchering that name, but he, he was their last signee and, uh, they got him out of Rigby, Idaho. So they're, um, in my opinion, they, they did the most to upgrade their team. They got a bunch of, uh, Utah guys, <laughs> big guys that they can build up even more, um, that, that some of these guys might have to play early. Uh, especially if I I don't, I didn't hear if, if they, you know, on top of all the graduates, Jason Shelley's leaving. I don't know if you saw that George, um, but he's transferring out uh, as a backup quarterback. It's probably the best thing to do for him. And uh, they also at one point were losing Solomon Enos. And I don't know if he ever went through with his transfer and he was supposed to be their number one receiver going into this upcoming year. And I mean, his parents were retweeting, all sorts of stuff about him not getting the ball and him, you know, that people could expect that, uh, he was gonna, um, transfer out, but then he was just named a team captain. Um, he was just named a team captain on February 4th. I saw that tweeted out. So I don't know if he's leaving or not, but he's a spring captain for the team. We'll see if they've convinced him to stick around, because keeping him around would be really, really big for whoever ends up at quarterback for Utah.
0: Yeah, uh, and G- Shelly, I don't think, it- Shelly's a kid who came in, what was it, two seasons ago and had a little bit of a run and played played okay and then kind of got exposed in the Pac-12 championship game versus Washington. And he's, he- he's a kid that I believe, Mind you, it can be a college football player. But where he was at, at least at that point in time, and then what we saw of him briefly this year, it was well, I, yeah, it, it, just, well, it just wasn't, you know, I don't think the Pac 12 is the place for him. You know I mean? think
1: you're right. I think you're right. I would love to see a group of five team hand him the keys. And honestly, George, anytime he came in the game, I was like, ah, here we go. This is going to be fun. His little bug running around back there. I I loved watching Jason Shelley, but it, he was overmatched. If we're being completely honest, um, he did some pretty cool things. I know Utah fans love that leap over a uh, um, BYU safety or whatever, and he's he's done some pretty cool things. But he's, I mean, you you could see that that offense just wasn't really designed for him, and the punishment that he would take, you know, running around the way he did without kind of being a dual threat. Uh, without much of a threat to throw the ball. I, I just don't think he's somebody that I'd love to see. And I know that they don't really take too many transfers, but he's a guy that could go
0: to a school like Navy and absolutely blow up. Ooh, that would see, he would excel in that triple option provided he could, his body could withstand all of those hits because you, yeah. you do get tackled a lot when you're playing quarterback. He's and so shifty, you throw maybe eight times a game. He could nail some of
1: those. You know, I, yeah, I like you actually
0: him. could. Yeah, that, that is true. You could increase your passing up, uh, uptick there. Hmm. hmm. Very, very interesting. Um, the, the recruits. So, like I was saying, is that the recruits are m- much was made about, you know, SEC, uh, sorry, USC not landing one of the top three quarterbacks in California, but, it, it, it made sense why they didn't because Bryce Young was committed. So they weren't really recruiting DJ as much and or the uh, or the other kid that CJ Stroud. They weren't recruiting them as much. And then uh, all of a sudden, Bryce Young commits. DJ um, is already committed to Clemson. You know, so like I think much more was made out of the exodus, out of the Pac-12. But I do think that it's worth noting. But I do think the thing that's scarier for the Pac-12, which signals a major problem, is now you're having coaches leave the Pac-12. And it's not for better opportunities. Like if you have a a DB coach leave the conference to go take a, 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 a defensive coordinator job, or you have a wide receiver coach or a quarterback coach leave to take an offensive coordinator job, that makes sense. But you're now having Pac-12 coaches leave the conference to take lateral moves, and it's based upon money. They're doubling or even potentially tripling their salary by going to other teams. You have yeah. Ari- yeah you have Arizona State, which you cover, Ralph their defensive coordinator who just got promoted Tony White leaves the Pac12 he leaves a team that is on the rise in Arizona State I think we all can agree with that they they're the kind of the new girl the the new hot girl the new hot thing leave to go to Syracuse who had a down year with Dino Babers I think Dino Babers is a great coach but you leave Arizona State to go to Syracuse he didn't leave to go to a, he didn't leave to go to like Michigan or or, or or Ole Miss, or Auburn, or Alabama, or Oklahoma, or some No, he left to go to Syracuse, Ralph. Shouldn't this be concerning?
1: Yeah, I mean, so the, the Tony White thing is interesting because he was only, I believe, ASU's defensive coordinator for about four weeks. He was brought over from San Diego State by Danny Gonzalez to be the defensive backs coach. Danny Gonzalez took the New Mexico job, which I do not blame him for. Um, The pay's not great, but Danny Gonzalez spent about 15 years there as a player assistant under Rocky Long. Then he got Rocky Long back as his DC after Rocky Long left San Diego State. So as hard as it is to get kids to come to Albuquerque, if anyone can do it, it's going to be Danny Gonzalez. If he can't do it, then just cancel the program. Um, there was a moment when I thought, oh, he'll might try to bring Tony white with him, but it would have been a huge pay cut. And Arizona state's sitting there thinking to themselves, you know, this is, you know, Tony white is basically their third defensive coordinator. Cause they wanted to keep, um, they wanted to keep, uh, Phil Bennett on from the Todd Graham era. He said, no, he said he had some health things to tend to. So they bring in Danny Gonzalez and then they realize we recruited all these kids for a three, three, five. Tony White knows the three, three, five because he's a disciple of Danny Gonzalez. Let's promote him. And it wasn't a couple of weeks that went by where, you know, you, and and there are some extenuating circumstances, you know, you, you have Kobe Bryant's death and you have Danny Gonzalez's mother passing away after, you know, fighting a long illness. And Tony White's mother lives in New York. And so, you know, I think he said to himself, if I have the opportunity to be closer to family, it it would be hard for me to not entertain that. So, you know, when his old friend Dino Babers comes calling and he gets an offer, and it's actually for more money than he's making at ASU, when, which I think Syracuse fans can probably the fact that he spent four weeks as Arizona state's DC probably allowed for this transition. Cause if they were just hiring a defensive backs coach, then maybe, you know, maybe, may, maybe that wouldn't have got clear, but since it was like, it's like recruiting a one school gives you the stamp of approval than another school offers. And so, um, you know, they did offer him more money than he was making at ASU and ASU for whatever reason, they didn't match. And who knows if he would have stayed if they did. I think it would have been interesting to see what would have happened there because Tony White kind of had all the leverage. But I think in Herm Edwards' mind, he's like, oh, we'll just fall back on the fact that Marvin Lewis didn't get an NFL job. But they have to change their whole scheme now. And one of the reasons is, is because other conferences just have more resources than (laughs) the Pac-12. And that's the reason this is going to continue to keep happening. Yeah. Tony White had other reasons that make this more understandable, but at the same time, Ed Dino Babers come to him and said, Hey, I know your mom's out here. I know that we're friends. We'd really like to run the three, three, five. We can't pay you as much as ASU, but you will be closer to family. Would you have taken the job? I don't, I don't know. Probably not. Yep. So, you know, it's just the resources, money talks. It really does. It's so Uh, that's kind of all I have to say about that. You know, Jamar Cain just took a big pay increase. I'm guessing that, you know, Colorado just lost their, as we're recording this, Colorado just lost their defensive line coach.
0: That's where we were going next. Colorado defensive line coach, Jimmy Brumba. He leaves to take a lateral move to go to Tennessee. Mel Tucker, that, and then, Add on top of that, Mel Tucker to potentially Michigan State, which he then came out after and said, He's not, uh, I'm not leaving, I'm not going anywhere, I'm building something, something here. But I thought that uh Jimmy Broomba leaving it signaled a couple things that Mel Tucker may have been close to being out the door to Michigan State, or but for some reason something didn't work. And he's like, ooh, I got a better opportunity well, another opportunity, making significantly more money, Pac-12 fans should be terrified because you're like, you you have good coaches in the conference, but then they get poached out of the conference, and then they have West Coast ties for recruiting, and then they can go recruit your kids. This is the problem. Yeah. I don't it, <laughs> uh,
1: the, the Mel Tucker thing's weird because – You know, he does the Wolf of Wall Street thing. Like, I'm not effing leaving. And everybody goes wild, right? But you got to back up a second. Like, he said it was an honor to even be considered. But it's not like someone just reaches out and names you head coach. You got to interview. There's a process. You have to express interest. That means he was interested. That means he could leave. I I think that this should actually make Colorado fans nervous. And you should also, (laughs) if any, if one good thing happens... At your school and you're in the Pac-12, if your position coach does one good thing, one nationally noticeable thing, you should be super paranoid. Uh, Dante Williams was just named the recruiter of the year. I think from 24-7, everybody at Oregon should be biting their nails as to whether or not he's going to move on to the next Big thing that I know. That's how Arizona State oh. fans feel about Antonio Pierce. Jimmy Brumbach got Antonio Alfano, the former five star, to transfer from Al- was it Alabama, right? Yep. Um, and and the so the no, one no, no. good wait, thing, wait, that-
0: wait, it was either Alabama or Auburn. Oh no, 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 it was it was it was Alabama because the kid from Auburn went to Oregon State, right? Oregon State, yeah, yeah.
1: And so and so whoever was responsible for that that is probably going to get, uh, you know, uh, is is going to be the one to get the next job, but. You know, so you do that one good thing and then all of a sudden you oh Tennessee's like, oh, that's what we need. And so you know, and it's a little bit closer to his footprint. You know, he's coached at Kentucky and Maryland, and so um it it makes sense that he would kind of go back to where he's from, and that's the risk you take if you're Colorado getting guys on your staff that aren't necessarily from the footprint. But it's also the risk of just not having as much money as everybody yeah.
0: else. And and I, I love how Larry Scott tries to, the commissioner of the Pac-12, tries to sell us on, oh, yeah, yeah, our guys, our schools are so good with, with, with money. We understand that there's not, we don't have the same amount as the other conferences, but we're doing really well. We have quality coaches. But when you... When you have quality coaches, you then have to pay them salaries commensurate with with the industry standard for top coaches. Because you look at the SEC, the Big Ten, Big 12, quality coaches are paid quality money and even bad coaches are paid quality money. So if you're in the Pac-12, you're sitting there, you're like, I don't know. And Dante, and that's where, well, to to get to Dante Williams in a minute, who was just named the recruiter of the year. Pac-12 schools understand this, but the problem is they don't have the resources. You had the Pac-12 pay out $33 million. They're going to pay out $33 million to their, their schools. The SEC paid out 44 million. Big. 10 paid out 50 some million dollars like 54 million dollars to their schools so you're 22 million dollars behind the 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 upper echelon your commissioner is making twice what the sec commissioner is making and his team and his team's are winning national championships the (laughs) i mean it it's it's You talked about it on the last podcast, Ralph, and I don't think that people really understood the amount of money that this is and how this adds up. So if you are a pet, so uh, let's go with the the top of the food chain right right now, money-wise, is the Big Ten. So if you're at 54, I think it's either 54 or 55 million dollars. Let's take 54 million dollars minus 33. You got 21 million dollars. Times in the Pac-12, there are 12 teams. I know that there are 14 in there, but let's just use Pac-12 numbers. The way, the way, the the way you know that this is the bot, that this is the low end. 21 million dollars times 12 teams. That's 252 million dollars in one year. Multiply that time to four years until there's another TV contract. You're a billion dollars behind the Big Ten. A billion dollars. And the SEC just signed a new contract with CBS, uh, leaving CBS for their game of the week. So for 15 or 16 games for uh, the SEC game of the week, they're going to make a hundred million dollars. That's more than the entire uh, Pac-12 Tier 1 slate. So all these night games, Thursday night games, all of that stuff, you are given the worst slate. Sorry, the second worst slate possible. The only thing worse is Maction on Tuesdays.
1: <laughs> right. So I, this, I'll say this, and this is probably the most important, if you only take away one thing from anything that I say in this podcast or even any of the previous podcasts, this is the most important thing that I'll say. In baseball, you have the Yankees. And when your players get good, the Yankees come and take them, right? Now the Dodgers. You got these teams with these enormous payrolls. They can come in, and they can get your guy. They can offer up off prospects. They can outbid you uh, when it comes time for, for free agency. The Yankees are... The villain, right? There's a lot of people who love the Yankees and their history and everything like that, but the way that the Yankees are built and structured with the, you know, YES Network and everything like that, they are always going to be able to get what they want if they truly want it. Now, Kansas City Royals, they have money. Right? They have money. Yeah, yeah. Their payroll is in the millions. It's not like they're uh, sisters of the poor. But compared to the Yankees, you know, if the Yankees want a Kansas City Royal, they're going to get that Kansas City Royal by hook or by crook. Now, in college football, imagine that the Pac-12 is the Kansas City Royals, and there are four New York Yankees out there <laughs> representing four other major college conferences. There, if if one if one Yankees team puts its eyes on on your prospect, on your player, and decides we're going to get them, and you know that they, they eventually will. Imagine if there's four Yankees all surrounding one Kansas City Royals. You're not yep. ever going to have a chance. And I genuinely believe that if the income disparity continues to increase at the rate that it's increasing, we are going to get to the point where Pac-12 SEC out-of-conference scheduling... Are pay games
0: where yeah, Texas oh, yeah.
1: A&M is giving one point five million dollars to the University of California to get them to come to College Station?
0: I believe it. And that, Notre Dame is paying Cal one point nine million dollars to come to 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 their stadium. So we're there now, and that's yep. pathetic. Yep, and it and that that Tony White to Syracuse thing. Rip, Remember, the ACC was at the bottom of the of the money situation of the the conference. Now the ACC with their new deal with ESPN. Now what they're going now they have more money. So then you're losing. You just lost a defensive coordinator in Tony White to a lateral position for to the ACC and not to Miami, not to Florida State not to uh, North Carolina, who's on the uptick right now. You lost them to Syracuse. Syracuse is technically on the uptick, sort of, even though they had a backslide this yeah. year. But still, you shouldn't lose a coach there. Not over money. And it, it it's just, like, money causes, money is the biggest factor in divorce. It's not cheating. It's not infidelity it's it's money whether it's financial infidelity or whether it's you know not being able to agree who makes more money all of these things money is the biggest thing the money is going to cause the pac 12 to divorce and here is how i know this if you look at ucla who is who ran in a 18 million 8.4 18.4 million dollar deficit last year they're projected to run in a deficit again this season. Cal is near running in a deficit. And mind you, their coaches are not even at the top of the pay scale. And then you have Oregon State and Washington State who need financial uh who need finances to to survive. The the boosters the donors of these schools, I've talked to some of them. Here is what they have to say. They say our TV deal is untenable and you cannot wait until 2024 to get out of it. But they're like, oh, it's a contract. Yeah, but don't you see people renegotiate deals all the time? They do because it's in everybody's best financial interest. The... Uh, Larry Scott, who's technically doing two jobs, which should be two jobs running the network. You need a skilled, polished network person to run the network and you need a commissioner. That's two two million dollar jobs and you still save like six hundred thousand dollars. So you so that needs to get broken up. And then you focus on getting out of your TV deals and into something that is financially viable for everybody and something that scales up that has escalators in it per for the years that way then because what's going to happen now is the Pac-12 is going to get this big shiny new contract deal it's going to be on quote-unquote par with everybody else but then everybody else's deals are going to be up the next year, the year after, and you're right, and that billion-dollar gap becomes another billion and a half-dollar gap. Ralph, it's I, I I don't understand. Like I asked a couple donors, I said of ma- major schools, major Pac-12 influential schools, what the presidents, and I asked two Pac-12 athletic directors too, what don't the president see? That Larry Scott is doing because they said that they thought that this this potential media sale was a, a red that it was a ruse. It was just like it, it was it was like, hey, 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 look, hey, look over there. A girl, uh, a, a girl pulled her pants down. She pulled her top up. <laughs> it was like, hey, look, shiny object. That's what they were trying to do. I, I just don't understand why they keep falling for this, Ralph. I mean, we can't these are smart educated people. How don't they see this? I think I we talked about it last
1: week. It's just sometimes if you're biting the hand that feeds, you know, and you're in a position where you're actually getting some money, that worry of like how are we gonna meet our bills if we screw this up can it it does a lot to keep um it it does a whole lot to keep Larry Scott in power because everybody's just kind of afraid of what will happen if they don't right like i i the way that i look at it is the only way to affect change here is for somebody to come in and it has to be a top down approach to say in the same way that you would hire a coach who has a bunch of recruiting connections you bring them in and and they have a bunch of corporate connections that come with them. You know, somebody like Condoleezza Rice, <laughs> you know, that you could bring in and say like, hey, we want you to run the conference. It's worth it to us to make this change because you bring in all of your corporate connections. And I, that that's, that's the only thing that I can think of because I think that there's just not enough expertise in the Pac-12. All the power is completely consolidated that we can comment on Larry Scott's job and say we don't feel like he's doing a good job. But what we can't say is what he could do better because we really don't know what what all it entails. It's such a unique position that he has where he is the head of a conference and the head of a network. And there's not really a way to get a hold of him. And he's kind of shielded and only answers the questions he wants to answer and, you know, does yeah. stuff like they they just came out with a really cool thing in any other. And, I, and this it's almost like I, I really hate how much we we end up bitching about uh, the Pac-12 because, the PAC 12 just came out with a partnership uh, with eco products. And that'd be cool to be able to talk about on a podcast like this, of how like they're trying to raise up um, an aware generation of, uh, of environmentally responsible students who understand, you know, how to contribute to zero waste systems. You know, and I get that that's kind of all the rage right now or whatever, but it's kind of a cool thing that feels unique to the, pac twelve, but at the same time, I can't talk about it in this with a straight face because in that same breath, I know that they announced their partnership with a gas station to sponsor the to to sponsor the Pack twelve championship just a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> you know, and, and when you need that money, you're going to take that check even if it conflicts with the values that you're trying to portray. And yeah. right now, the the, the Pack twelve just needs needs cash, and they know they haven't done the best job of of stewarding. Um, their situation in relation to, to everybody else, but there's nobody coming in and saying we need that. We, we, what you need is you need a president or an athletic director to stand up and say, you know, not only are, am I publicly criticizing Larry Scott, but I have a plan to move forward. Oh yeah. And that's just that, that is what has not happened. You have grumbling behind the scenes and nobody has stood up and said like, we need to move in this new direction.
0: And you see all the schools hitting their donors up, hitting their alumni up for more donations. But the problem with that is, is, is that you do need booster money. You do need donation money for your athletic departments, all of that. The thing is, is that your school can't rely on that to meet its budget every year. That's got to be icing on the cake. That's got to, some of that has to go to reserves. Like these are things that that you call on them when you need them, because the problem is this, is that when donors and boosters know that there is that you need them to survive, mind you, these are shrewd businessmen, some of them, yes, eco-friendly, eco-responsible, some of them astounding human beings. However, when you know that some, when someone, when a business or a company needs you, what do you then have Ralph? Like if, if, if someone knows that they need you to survive, I'm sorry, if you know that, that this business needs you to survive and mind you, they do have some things that are add value to you and your life. What does that give you? Leverage.
1: Or nope. a lack of it. It depends on the perspective that you're talking about. And and the things that I worry about most is that we see a lot of coaching changes being made based on how a couple of people feel um, who who have just a ton of financial leverage. And the other thing I worry about is, George, like we're living in a pretty incredible economy right now, especially for the people who are at the top of it. You know, maybe not everybody, but the people at the, the, that are at the top of this current economy right now are having a real good time. But that can go away in a matter of a couple of decisions made by any particular administration um, or any particular, you know, economic set of circumstances. We have to be probably on the verge of some other kind of housing bubble. Oh, for sure. For sure. And when that, and it, might, it might not be as severe as 2008, but when it happens, you are going to see a shift in financial priorities and if you have become dependent on money that's essentially supposed to serve as an excess and you haven't been responsible stewards of of the things that you're bringing in and then all of a sudden you can't cash in on promises that were made to help you build suites and upgrade fields and 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 do all of these other things or just meet your your coaching salaries you're going to be in huge trouble especially if you're a school like ucla you already have a shortfall like a lot of Pac-12 schools are really playing with fire right now. And I think that some of the other conferences will really be able to withstand some of that because those checks that come from the, uh, the television networks, like those will always be good. Those checks are always going to come in. Yes, you know, sports is the one thing that 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 sort of keeps that whole economy afloat. Uh, as far as live television or any of the different streaming services, they're all really built around our love of sport. And even in a down economy, we're going to use sports to escape and want to have it entertain us and everything like that. It'll be everybody else who kind of suffers. Uh, and and I, so it's weird that the Pac-12 is making the least amount of money and also feels the most vulnerable right now.
0: I, I asked, I said, okay, so why don't they just oust Larry, Larry Scott? And they said, if you're going to kill the king, you better make sure you kill the king. Well, sorry, if you're going to go after the king, you better make sure you kill the king. Because there are a bunch of schools, at least five that I know of, that want Larry Scott gone, that would vote for him to go now. But there has to be a, it's going to be a unanimous vote if they do it. But they also can't miss because if they do, the conference can then punish them with 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 schedules, with TV program. I mean, there's so much that Larry Scott could do to punish people who tried to get him out. And as you see more. More uh, new presidents come in, because you because you because you've seen new presidents at different schools over the last couple years you're going to see a shift away from what Larry Scott is selling because his contract is up in 2022. So, you know, he's going to throw something out there, say, Oh man, we, we got to get ready for this 2024 TV contract. And I deserve a raise too, because I'm going to be leading the, leading the forefront of this. So it's, it's absolutely awful. It's terrible, but All this money stuff then trickles down back to the beginning of coach of players leaving the Pac-12 and coaches leaving the Pac-12, which is the recruiting budgets. And the recruiting budgets, we found some numbers from a stadium that talked about the 2018-2019 recruiting budgets. You look at Georgia spent by far the most, $2.6 million and then then you got texas clemson alabama texas a&m florida state michigan michigan state penn state lsu oklahoma nebraska is there a theme there ralph
1: <laughs> i'm i'm not hearing a lot of pac 12 schools
0: <laughs> yeah and and there are name brand teams name brand teams think okay so georgia spent 2. uh six million dollars in their uh, recruiting their 2018 had the number one class 2019 came back with the second class Alabama fifth and first Texas third and third like these are <laughs> and you get a lot of five-star kids and the Pac-12 in total between 14 teams spent about 10 million dollars in recruiting how are you supposed to keep up Ralph
1: I, I don't know. Maybe maybe this is a bubble as well. Um the the only thing that's keeping this competitive right now, George, is scholarship limits. Because imagine if there weren't any. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You would you would have even more, you'd have 40 kids, and then you know, you just have to hit the transfer portal. But you'd have 40, 50 kids trying to go to Clemson show up, make their way on that team. And and that that's that's incredibly scary. Right now, the only thing That is keeping a lot of these football programs afloat is the fact that that there is some type of uh, cap put in on the amount of students that a school can bring in. And, you know, if we're they have to go somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. And what what I wonder about is if we reach a position where players can actually be compensated for their name, image and likeness. Will some players even need a scholarship? I mean, if they're truly, truly transcendent, could you go? You know, let's say you have somebody who um, builds up a huge YouTube following in high school, is able to monetize it, and then they can look at you know, th- this is obviously an isolated scenario, but you get to the point where you can monetize your brand enough to say. I don't need to be part of the 25 scholarship limit. So somebody who you know, can go to Clemson on top of the 25 that they already have and continue to make a salary for the things that they do because they're not held down by any of the the rules that come with maybe carrying a scholarship at that school. And as more money gets introduced to the system and more freedom – All I see is more opportunities for kids to leave to the schools who are doing a better job and have more resources and have more ways of getting your name out there. Because if you saw, George, if you saw the recently released numbers for the the NFL Combine invites, the SEC had, what, over 20 more than the next conference? Yep. That is going to speak to kids more than anything else.
0: Oh, that is recruiting fodder. <laughs> that that is rec- I mean, how do you like that's empirical data that can't be disputed? Right. So if I'm if I'm
1: like, let's say Bryce Perkins, who transferred from Arizona State to Arizona Western, which we now talked about at JUCO football in Arizona is defunct, so he wouldn't even be able to do that anymore. But he transferred from Arizona State to Arizona Western and then ended up at Virginia and took Virginia to an Orange Bowl. If you know anything about Virginia football, the fact that a quarterback could lead them to the Orange Bowl is insane. Uh, he did not get an NFL Combine invite. The next Bryce Perkins, maybe if he has a choice between going to Mississippi State and Virginia, what's he going to choose? Oh, yeah. If if Bryce Perkins can't even get an NFL Combine invite out of the ACC, if the Pac-12, which I think was third, but a distant, distant third, and the SEC has almost 90 people in one uh, draft class invited to the NFL combine. Like, what are you going to do? Yeah. Even if your choice comes down to like a premier program in the Pac 12 versus maybe a lesser program in the SEC. I think that, that almost every metric right now points to an avalanche, points to uh, a. Um, you know, a building snowball effect of the rich will continue to get richer. I think it mirrors society in a lot of ways, but uh, I, I think that they, you know, the PAC 12, if they're not going to act right now, then they're just, they're going to get swept up in it. And we're going to continue to see as we've seen with the high level 2021 recruits that are leaving California to go to Clemson already and LSU already, we're going to continue to see the Pac-12 fall further and further behind, until you can no longer say Power Five, it's going to be Power Four, then Power Three, and then you know Pac-12 is going to be that sort of mid-level AAA above group of five, but below what the SEC can offer, and that's so, probably going to cause some schools to want to leave.
0: Yeah, and and if you are a financially solvent team, like you have USC, who's doing good financially. You have Oregon who's doing good financially. I mean, don't you have to, at some point in time, look out for for self and say, huh, is there a better option for us? I mean, whatever, whatever that that option is, you have to be you have to know that these schools are looking at this saying, huh. Could there be a better option? I don't know what it is yet, but it's worth exploring in case because you never want to get the rug pulled from from out from out under you. Like if you know that your company is potentially going bankrupt or potentially being sold or something, aren't you going to start looking for other potential employment or opportunities in case that happens? Like you're not just going to know that something bad is going on and just and just wait, right?
1: Well, and what if what if what if your company was going under and you brought three ideas to the table that would save the company, and the person in charge of the company came out against every single one of them? California yeah. tried to lead the way on name, image, and likeness. Larry Scott came out against it. They floated the idea of expanding the college football playoff. Larry Scott came out against it. Everybody's pushing back on the idea that the Pac-12 plays more conference games, which has a negative effect on overall on the Pac-12's ability to appear on a national stage, and Larry Scott came out against evening the odds. So it's not like people aren't bringing ideas to the table. There is one person currently standing in the way of the Pac-12 being competitive, and he's also the person that's in the driver's seat and has the steering wheel in his hands.
0: That's incredibly frustrating. Oh, for sure. For sure. And you mentioned the combine invites, 337 players, of which 200 and, you know, 260 around there, somewhere between 256 and 265 will be drafted. But some of those guys that aren't at the combine are going to get drafted, too. So 93 of the invites came from the SEC, 93, Big Ten, 57, Pac-12, 47, ACC, 35 and Big Ten had 29. So, so
1: yeah, 26%, man, that's 20, 20, one in four, one out
0: of every four players came from the sec. Right. Not great. (laughs) Yep. Exactly. Um, Oh, the, one of the last things I've, so we, so we've already covered the money. We've already covered that. Uh, we've already covered the recruiting budgets and the biggest recruiting budget. In the Pac-12, surprisingly, though, was the uh, the University of Oregon. Well, actually, actually, I don't think that that was a big s- surprise, but I but I did want to talk about how that then turns into getting recruits, because what actually happens is is so a guy like Mario Cristobal. So this is information that I that I have because mm-hmm. I am close with some of the boosters, donors, all of uh, this. If you look at the week before signing day, Oregon had its entire class locked up except for the kid, Jalen Jeff, the the, the kid who flipped from Alabama because Alabama wanted to turn him into an old lineman and he didn't want to do that, that kid. Aside from him, they were the he was the only kid, but besides Wideman, but they knew that he wasn't gonna come. The wide receiver, I think he ended up going to Tennessee. Aside from that, like their recruiting class was pretty much locked up. They had the kid on campus the three days before signing day. He left to go back home. Mario Cristobal and the recruiting staff. In the in the last week up to signing day. That last week, they used one of the donor's planes. They uh, logged 44 flight hours in seven days, over 15,000 miles in the air. That's not even including the the miles that they drove a- as well because obviously driving is more efficient than flying to uh, some, some, some places. 32 takeoff and landings they visited pretty much all 2021, 2022 and 2023 kids. Didn't even while while teams were scrambling for 2021s, I and a lot of coaches were already off. They were on vacation already or just calling recruits on the phone. Do you, do you think that Clay Helton is putting putting in those kind of hours or Chip Kelly? Or no.
1: And th- I mean and that's why I I think that's why I like the higher and you and I talked about this a couple of weeks back. That's why I like the hire of Joe Moorhead so much, because you you know that Joe Moorhead's probably going to get another job very soon, and you know that they won't really ask him to have to recruit that much. So if you give the entire offense over to him and just allow Mario to be Mario, then you're in a really good position. And I think that that's, that's something that ASU kind of plans to do as well, have Marvin Lewis call the defense, even though he's splitting the – the code DC role with Antonio Pierce, but you and I both know what Antonio Pierce's role is. And you know, it's to go get kids. And so if he can learn the ropes while Mario or while Marvin Lewis is calling the defense, then you have a situation where the schools that are going to be the absolute best at recruiting in the PAC 12 are going to be people who have highly paid assassins, you know, completely dedicated to doing exactly that. And I mean, Cristobal is not going to be outworked period. And it very much seems like he wants to be at Oregon. Um, I, I think that, you know, it, it, there's a direct correlation between uh, salary, effort, and results. A direct correlation. If you look at, you know, Rob Likens was fired by ASU. He was making $700,000 a year. And that was good for like 61st overall in the country. Well, that's the offense that you're going to get is 61st overall in the country. Like that's, that's around what you're, you know, what, what you're going to get. And so the, that's why it's so important to be able to dedicate resources to these things because it's hard to expect the best unless you're paying for the absolute best. And the Pac 12 remains completely dependent on getting guys who want to come up from the Mountain West you know and then the second that they prove it in the Pac12 they're going to be poached by somebody else because you can't afford to hang on to them and and it's nice when your lead recruiter actually ends up being your head coach and i think that that's why Oregon is in such a unique position to succeed. And I think that that'll end up being good for Washington as well because Jimmy Lake really had that reputation as the guy for Chris Peterson. So if they can find the right coordinators at Washington and the right coordinators at, at Oregon, then you can have your head coach essentially be the Fisher and everybody else be the fry cook. And that's, that's what you need to be successful in this conference.
0: Yeah. Um, now I guess it is time for us to, you know, g- stop the, <laughs> stop, stop the poo pooing. Cause we'll, we'll, and I think next episode we'll, we'll cover those PAC 12 SEC games that you were talking about, Ralph, where, um, where you, you were talking about how many SEC games uh, there are 37 SEC games under contract, with uh, from Pac-12 SEC opponents into the uh, the 2030s, and a lot of them are Mississippi State, Texas A&M, LSU, Florida, Ole Miss, Vanderbilt, Auburn, LSU, Arkansas, and then you got the one game against Alabama. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, for 2020 with USC this upcoming season. We need to bring Bama to Reese. That's what we, that's what we need. We we'll
1: see how Bama likes it in Oregon, in Oregon State Beaver territory. See if they can so handle the noise.
0: Getting Nick Saban to leave Alabama for a non-conference game to, well, sorry, to play at anybody else's home for is, uh, do you would have a better chance of swimming with with Jaws, dude? They don't, they don't have. I think their first non-conference road game is like in like twenty twenty four. And they haven't had one in di- over a decade. It's just been bad. I, I I just don't even understand how you play football like like that without a willingness to schedule. Um, but I guess on to brighter news, sort of. I guess is the <laughs> Pac-12 basketball. At one point in time, you had like four four teams ranked. You know, you got Arizona looking real promising, Nico Mannion, the whole crew, Sean Miller recruited again, selling hope. He's the ultimate hope salesman. And you had Dana Altman at Oregon doing a good job, you know, consistent. They can be counted on in the conference to make the tournament and then win, win a couple games in there. You got Mick Cronin went to UCLA thinking things are gonna, you know, move in the right direction. USC surprises, Stanford surprises. Now you're looking at, wow, there may be five Pac-12 teams that'll make the tournament. And now, shortly before the Pac-12 tournament is getting ready to happen, the the, the conference standings look like they did for football. <laughs> everybody's got, I mean, everybody's five and six, eight and three, seven and four. Except for Washington, who's an abysmal two and nine and Oregon State, who's four and seven. I don't understand, Ralph. I do not understand what the hell is going on. You
1: got to watch out, too, because Washington, I watched them uh, for a couple of games this last week, uh, both losses. But my goodness, are they talented. And they just don't really have a point guard. But they're so big and they're so strong. And and they definitely have the ability to upset anybody. I, I would not be surprised if Washington clipped Colorado the next time they play. Right. So there, there's a ridiculous amount of parity. You, I mean, you wouldn't say that in football, though. You wouldn't say like, oh, I bet Arizona beats Oregon. Uh, not last year, right? Um, this year, I, I think Washington could beat any one of these teams on any given night. And that's wild to me. Um, Colorado's playing really, really well right now. The only ranked teams are Colorado at 16 and Oregon at 17. Uh, Arizona didn't do themselves any favors taking a ginormous loss to UCLA. The other night, UCLA went 0 and two on an Arizona, uh, road trip in which they only allowed, uh, one field goal to ASU in the final 11 minutes. And that was the game winner from Remy Martin. And they didn't allow a field goal in the final eight minutes to Arizona. Um, and they lost that game as well. And so, you know, I have no idea what's going on with USC offensively, um, but I feel like they could be good as well. UCLA so hit and miss. You know, um, this is probably the worst offensive team that Bobby Hurley has had at Arizona State, but they're just sort of finding a way to effort their way into some of these games. And then Arizona, I don't even know what to think of, of the university of Arizona. It, it was that like, Oh yeah, they're very bad on the road and they're very good at home. And then they get blown out by UCLA. They only shoot 25%. They've got three of the top, you know, 40 freshmen in the country on their team and they don't play well together. The Sean Miller doesn't r- pound the ball inside. It's not like the guys he's had there are soft Lori Markin and Deandre Ayton. Now, um, uh, you know, now they have their uh, Zeke Nagy, their big center. And it's 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 like they they either try to find a hole in the zone or get somebody loose off a pick. Otherwise, they're not going down low. They just jack up threes, and that's not how you're gonna win. Meanwhile, Oregon is playing everybody close. They're 12 and 0 at home and 4-4 on the road. What is up with those splits? And and it's not like it's much better for Colorado either, because they're eight and three in the conference, and all three losses have come on the road. And they've got uh a lot of their games are on the road. They play Thursday at Oregon. And so we're going to see if Colorado actually deserves to be in the conversation as an elite Pac-12 basketball team. Um, but I, 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 the more I watch this and the more inconsistent that everybody is, the less trust I have for every single one of these teams. And we could end up in a situation a lot closer to last year um, than we thought it was going to be just a couple of weeks ago
0: yeah but by, by, by not having any one dominant team or two dominant teams in the league it actually makes the rest of the team look look worse because if if you just had Oregon and Colorado or Oregon and Arizona or Colorado and Arizona just dominating the conference just you know with one or two conference losses everybody else is sitting at 3 and 4 and they're kind of beating each other up but then you know it makes everything look better I, I think, but now you're going to be looking at, okay, so Oregon and Colorado are locks to get in a tournament, I think. And then you got Arizona. I mean, I could see a I put, I,
1: Arizona, for some reason, their resume is impressing the folks who are in charge of analytics and numbers. And it's, it feels very much like Arizona would have to do something so terrible to be left out. So I feel like you have three teams because I, I feel like Colorado is probably going to go four and three to end the season. That's me being conservative. Um, I, I feel like Oregon is, is maybe going to do a little bit better. And, and then, you know, I, I, I just – I don't see Arizona completely crapping out. I, to me, there are three guaranteed teams right now. It, it's really up to what the L.A. schools and Arizona State do down the line in order to make them look viable. Arizona State's going to have to go five and three and maybe win a Pac-12 conference game to be considered a viable tournament team and not have three years in a row where they're the last four. Um, But it's really up to the L.A. schools on whether or not this conference is going to look good heading into the postseason.
0: Yeah, and when you look at the, the net rankings that they're using now to help find who should be in the tournament, that's the NCAA evaluation tool. You have Arizona sitting at number 10 in the country. With uh, quadrant one wins, that means home wins over top 30 teams, Jeez. neutral court teams over top 50 teams, and road wins over top 75 teams. But they're only two and five. And they're at number 10. Colorado's at number 16, and Oregon's at number 25. And I'm just like, and Stanford's at number 30, UCLA at 47. I'm like, how does this make sense? I mean, it, it's one of the more puzzling things that I've ever seen. I it, it's almost like wins and losses don't matter. It's a, Oh, Oh, if you played and you lose, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I, I just don't understand. And then yeah, I, I got a guy that I go to for questions about that. Cause I will be
1: very, very honest. The more I try to understand it, the less I understand to me, like, all right, be good teams and try not to lose and it'll all take care of itself, but it's not, that, you know, that isn't always necessarily the case. The thing that always trips me up is you got these teams that that nearly go undefeated, but don't play in major conferences. You know, they're ranked in the top 10 AP. And then when it, the time comes around, they're like a five seed or a six seed. And so, you know, I I know that, uh, you know, that definitely lessens the importance of these top 25 rankings from week to week. Uh, but I, I I really only really like to look at it the, as the conference tournaments are going around because everything just bounces around so much. And the margin for error is so small that all you can do is put your head down and go try to win games because you, you really never know. We, and we've seen plenty of occasions where, especially in some of these smaller conferences, you know, a school like Oakland will go into the conference tournament with a losing record then win the conference tournament outright and then end up in the in in you know keeping a 26 and four team completely out of the tournament because only one team can represent from the smaller conferences so i just i i really don't pay too much attention um until those conference tournaments start to hit because just the the amount that things can fluctuate before then is is mind-blowing
0: yeah it there there's a lot and then you never know with this conference who will sneak up and win the tournament and just get in. And then all of a sudden everything's just blown up and you may see some teams, you know, get pushed out or pushed, pushed in. So if you had to judge now, Ralph, how many teams do you think are going to get in the tournament? Cause I do agree with you because the net loves Arizona, Colorado and Oregon are getting in for sure. Then there is, you know, Stanford, USC and Arizona state. It, and UCLA, I guess, sorta. Of. Like, who do you ultimately think wins the Pac-12 tournament and who do you think gets in? I'm I'm
1: going to say optimistically, five. I believe Arizona State can can squeak in. I believe that USC is just too talented. They're inconsistent, but they're too talented to not make it. I think UCLA probably end up being the odd team out, but I would say Colorado, Oregon, USC, Arizona State, and um, yeah, maybe I'd have to throw UCLA in there. But uh, no, Arizona, Arizona. So I think Arizona will be in, and then UCLA will be on the outside looking in.
0: Okay. And who do you think ultimately wins the back 12 tournament?
1: Oh, man, they've looked so bad. They're just so poorly coached. But I want to believe because they haven't truly turned it on yet, that Arizona will have the ability to get that done. Uh, Something about those conference tournaments that allow teams to really stay in a rhythm because you're playing every single night and not having four or five days in between games. And I think if that team catches fire with the amount of talent that they have on it, there's not much you're going to be able to do. And I don't trust Oregon because they play to the level of whatever competition they have at any given time. Uh, It would also, it would not be insane to me to have a team like Washington Come in and win two or three games, just because they are so big up front and and they have talent.
0: They have two potential lottery picks, future lottery picks. Mm -hmm.
1: Exactly, but and you know and and if their three point shooting is on in any given night, and they're another team that just jacks up shots that are very unwise. But if it's on, if it's working one night, then you know what are you going to do? I but I I, yeah I, I would say that my favorite to win it are the two teams that I feel like have the most talent but haven't maximized it yet and that's either Arizona or USC
0: yeah I I think that I think that the top two teams in the line because they get a buy for the for the first round right yeah yeah so I, I think that those two teams have the best ability to win the conference only because these teams are so inconsistent that winning four games seems impossible for anybody.
1: Yeah, and it might feel like we're disrespecting Colorado, but I personally feel like Colorado is built maybe more for for to play some competition that isn't Pac-12. I think they have kind of a unique style that I think would hold up in the actual um, NCAA in, tournament, in March Yes, yeah. yeah. And, and meanwhile, I, I just don't think that anybody in the Pac-12 is intimidated by them at all. I think they're just kind of finding ways to win night in and night out. Um, If Tyler Bay is having a good night and, and, you know, I think they're just super well coached. That's what it comes down to. I think that they, they're the one team that doesn't, um, you know, outside of Dana Altman, it feels like always really maximizes um, the, and I I thought this would be a down year for Oregon. So the, the fact that they're still ranked this far into the season is just another credit to him. Um, But I feel like Colorado's coaching staff really gets the most out of their players and talent. And that's why I would trust them the most in in that tournament setting. When it comes to the Pac-12 tournament, I just don't think any team in the entire Pac-12 has any respect for any other team. So I have to default to talent. And to me, Colorado is not the most talented team.
0: Well, that's why I'm, I'm defaulting to whoever finishes number one and number two and gets a bye. They'll have to win three games instead of four games. And I'm taking one of them to, to win it. Because I don't, I don't believe that any of these teams is capable of winning four straight games. I just don't. Because they 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 haven't done it. I mean, yes, Colorado's on a three-game winning streak. You got Arizona State on a three-game winning streak. There are no four-game winning streaks running around the Pac-12 right now. So so I just don't believe it. Until until I see it, I will not believe it. So right now, today. Because they're number one and number two in the conference, give me Colorado or Oregon to win the Pac-12 championship. And whoever finishes in number one or number two spot, that's who's going to win the tournament. Fair enough. (laughs) Uh, Thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles. We appreciate your time, appreciate your energy. Remember to hit him up at Ralph Amsden. Hit me up at George Reister or the at Pac-12 Apostles Twitter as well. Thank you guys. Peace out. Catch you guys later.